Welcome to the EggerSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. Good afternoon and happy National Farm Safety and Health Week. This is day four and AgriSafe will be presenting on respiratory protection issues in agriculture, what to wear and does it fit? My name is Nisha Rose Davison and I will serve as your moderator this afternoon. So just a little bit about AgriSafe Network. Our tagline is protecting the people who feed the world. And we do this through a number of ways, um, providing needs assessments for of ag producer needs, training rural health professionals across the nation, as well as our safety and health experts, uh, establishing partnerships with NIOSH Ag Centers, rural research centers, and other nonprofits, and maintaining a culture of readiness and organizational expectation to address those emerging issues such as COVID, um, extreme weather threats such as wildfires and, and flooding and things of that nature. So we're always kind of looking for new opportunities to provide information. National Farm Safety and Health Week. Uh, again, as I mentioned, this is day four and our theme is Every Farmer Counts. We would not be able to do this without our um, sponsors for the week. So I want to acknowledge our um, NIOSH Ag Centers, um, Ag Health uh, Central uh, Center for Agricultural Safety and Health, known as CS Cash, HICAST, um, the National um, Education Center in the Northeast, and Pacific Northwest Agricultural Safety and Health Center, and the Southwest uh, Ag Center in Texas. So we're very thankful for our sponsors for the week to be able to provide this outreach uh, to new groups of ag producers. Coming soon, AgriSafe is going to do a think tank on racism and agricultural health. Um, anytime we dwell into a new area, we typically do a think tank or a focus group to provide key information from those target groups. We really wanna focus on the uh, racism as a public health crisis and how does it Im impact our, our agricultural um, audience in terms of producers who are black, uh, indigenous and people of color across the nation because agriculture is a very diverse industry and we wanna be sure that we're meeting those health and safety needs of all of those populations. So please um, consider joining us and not just listening. It is a kind of a, a, a conversation and providing input for things that you're seeing in your perspective, perspective areas. That's gonna be Thursday, November 12th uh, from 12 to 1.15 uh, central time. Now, in regards to today's presentation, uh, there's a number of ways to participate. Uh, in terms of audio, you have the option to join by computer audio. And if you have any issues with that, there's also an alternate option to call in. So you can switch up and dial in. Um, also, there is a chat box option um, for your questions and comments. So if you could type that in, we're gonna take those questions at the end of today's presentation. And that way we can engage and make sure that we're um, getting your questions and responding to those accordingly. I know many of you often ask, um, would this be available? This presentation is being recorded and it will be available within 24 hours at our AgriSafe Learning Lab, which is learning.agrisafe.org.
And finally, for the woman of the hour, today's presenter is Charlotte Halverson, who serves as the clinical director at AgriSafe. Um, Charlotte Halverson is an occupational health nurse for AgriSafe Network, and she serves as our clinical director. In that capacity, she researches, develops resources, and presents webinars such as the one today in person and educational uh, sessions on a variety of health and safety topics for the ag workforce. Um, she has had a variety of experience before this role, serving in the hospital, acute care settings, and community education. Um, during those years, Charlotte developed and managed a rural outreach health service and a parish health ministry. So she has a wealth of experience in this area, serving rural and also our agricultural community. And we're glad to have her as a presenter today. Charlotte, are you ready? I am. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you all right. I'm going to make sure I get you presenter rights here so we can see your slides. Okay. Uh, well, in the meantime, I just want to say hi and thanks for joining us all these days of National Farm Safety and Health Week. Uh, it's uh, getting to be a really big deal for a lot of our communities. And we see that because we have increased participation all the time. Every year, it just gets better and better. So, and that's only because of the participants and all of you who join us. I do want to tell you that if you hear a lot of crazy noises in the background, saws, hammers, and such, uh, we are in the middle of not only in-house construction stuff, but uh, building in the community. So uh, if things get a little weird, just uh, please bear with me. And with that, we'll get started here as soon as I can. Does that look okay? Yep, I can see your screen. Everything looks good. Awesome. Well, let's roll with it then. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we're going to spend a little time today talking about some of the respiratory issues in agriculture and I have to underline the word some because it would take a really long time to talk about all of them and we obviously don't have anywhere near that kind of time. So we're going to spend a little time talking about the issues but a lot of the time talking more about what to wear and some time talking about does it fit and we also know that in this particular time frame in our lives, we're all concerned uh, about the issues around the um, um, COVID-19 disease process that's impacting a lot of people. And we will mention some things about that as we go. And we hope that all of you are staying healthy and free from it uh, as, as you possibly can. So. Uh, we do have some focus areas we'd like to address today. Uh, we're going to talk about, as I said, some of the common exposures. We're going to talk about uh, some of the respiratory protection for workers, co-workers, and family members, and hopefully be able to a little better understand some of the differences between a respirator and a fabric or the paper masks and sorting out a little bit of that language. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, some of the uh, reliable resources that are out there and uh, challenging all of you to really look at your uh, current uh, local resources that may help you with the getting a hold of some of this hard-fought equipment this these days. And then we'll be presenting some of the evidence-based information that we found related to respiratory protection. 
The primary audience for this program uh, was developed for agricultural production workers, and I see that we have some of those on board today, and that's exciting. And we include our female workers in this, and we make specific mention of that because we know that so much of the work in agriculture at a variety of different levels is done by uh, women in the workforce now. And why do we talk about women in agriculture? Well, as we said, they play an increasing role. They account for at least one third of the management ownership and the farm work and crop, crop production work being done. And we are very aware that a large percentage, well over 20% of the seasonal farm workers and migrant workers here in the United States anyway, are women. We look at all kinds of different respiratory exposures when we're talking about ranching, farming, uh, any kind of food production, and that ranges across the board. Uh, we talk about the CAFOs that can find animal operations and feedlots. We know that there are so many heavy exposures there. Grain handling, and in many parts of the country this time of the year, this is huge. Um, and a lot of the parts of the United States here have had a lot of issues around um, weather, heavy weather issues from fires and wind to rain, flooding. Uh, here in the Midwest, uh, we were right in the middle of the derecho that went through and we're still trying to clean up after all of that. Uh, we talk about cotton uh, a little bit. We mention that because it, with OSHA, uh, a lot of the respiratory standard uh, information we have is based on the cotton standard. Chemicals and pesticides are a huge part of that exposure uh, panorama. And in the spring around here in the Midwest, anhydrous ammonia is a really big one. We also know that our, our uh, agricultural folks are exposed to so many different things in any given time during the day. Welding is a big piece of the agricultural world. Uh, diesel engines and working on engines and all that equipment and oftentimes indoors during the winter months. And we run the risk of carbon, carbon monoxide there. And then there's the painting and the woodworking and uh, spray painting and all of those things that go with it. And as I said, Right now, uh, right here in this place, we are concerned about the uh, pandemic issue of, of the virus we refer to and this disease process we refer to as COVID-19 from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The dust that really worry us, um, although we are concerned about the ones that you, that you see floating around in the air that are uh, uncomfortable for sure. They're a nuisance. They make you cough, sneeze, your eyes water, all of that stuff. Uh, but you can cough it up and get rid of it. What we get really worried about uh, are the uh, respirable dust particles that you don't really see. And respirable dust is that really tiny, a tiny dust. That sometimes it may create kind of a haze, but you don't really see it settle on equipment or countertops or windowsills. So we know that those are the ones that uh, can be the nasty bugs that cause our disease processes. And where do we see this respirable dust and the mold and all of these things? Uh, they're organic products. Um, they are seen we, when you're working with cattle, hogs, uh, poultry, any kind of animal, you're going to be dealing with some respirable dust just because of the dust that gets kicked up and then mixed in with things like insect pieces, uh, animal feces, uh, feed, all of that business. 
the, the big hazard, as we said, is organic dust and mold exposure. And we know that there are other exposures, but that's the, that is what we're going to be talking about right now when we're talking about this respirable dust. Uh, crop dust and molds are really big in so many parts of the country. And if you've ever torn apart a hay bale that's been sitting around when you're pulling it out for feed or bedding, some things like that, sometimes you can just almost see those mold spores come flying out of there in that kind of a yellowish or greenish haze. And that, that mold is extremely dangerous. Some of the respiratory symptoms that we see that are related to dust exposures are things like headaches and dizziness, uh, runny nose, your eyes itching and burning, sore throat, coughing, wheezing, sometimes shortness of breath, which can be a real danger sign at times, can be so ill that it can cause some nausea and vomiting. Uh, and a thing that we relate to is Monday morning syndrome. And I know a lot of you uh, are familiar with this and have talked about it with, in some of your uh, communities, but that Monday morning syndrome is what we uh, refer to when some of our agricultural people have had a chance to get away from their operation, uh, particularly the confined uh, building operations with poultry, hogs, and such. And they have the chance to get away for a couple of days. And they start feeling better. They're not so stuffed up. They're not coughing. They're not, you know, the sneezing, that kind of business. They get back to work. And after they're back to work for a half a day or a day by evening, uh, they're having some of these same symptoms all over again. And that's why we just happen to call it Monday mornings um, syndrome. Uh, these symptoms can uh, cause all kinds of uncomfortable things, but they can also cause some really dangerous things. One of them being organic tox dust toxic syndrome. And for some people, this can also lead into a, a phenomenon called uh, hypersensitivity pneumonitis or farmer's lung. That's not real common, uh, but if you know of anybody that's ever been impacted by it, you know how sick they were and how chronic they have to deal with some of these symptoms afterwards. Uh, one of the reasons that this is really a kind of a dangerous scenario is because there's such a time lapse sometimes between the exposure to um, what's in the dust to some of the onset of the symptoms. And we see this particularly with our zoonotic diseases that we've got such a big difference in, in the, the the time lapses from when you actually have something happen to you and you start feeling ill. And it may be more than just a couple hours. It may be a significant amount of time. Uh, we see this particularly with the bacterial and the viral exposures in agriculture uh, because that incubation period is, is can be so long. Um, the other exposures, as I said, that we're concerned about are the pesticides. And in agriculture, pesticide exposure is a really big deal. And you can become very ill if you happen to tangle with something that has a lot of uh, nasty side effects. And it's really difficult now because of the the problems that people are having getting a hold of respiratory protection. And this really impacts our pesticide uh, folks, our pesticide applicators and handlers. Uh, there are inorganic dust out there that also cause uh, a lot of um, uh, hazard and danger and uh, illness sometimes, but we're not talking so much about the inorganics today 
as we are the organics. The inorganics are things that uh, are kicked up by rocks, um, uh, exposure to different minerals, uh, salts, silicone, carbon, some of those things. Uh, the organics are the ones that are specifically derived from the activities going on with living organisms like animals and plants. We always like to refer back to the uh, NIOSH to th this nice little upside down uh, triangle, this uh, hierarchy of controls as they call it, and always encouraging people to really look at their work environment to see what can be eliminated uh, if possible, or if nothing else, putting substitutes in there or redesigning. And this is sometimes hard to do by yourself when you are kind of working alone or it's a small operation. So we suggest that when you can is that you have somebody else come in and put another set of eyes on it. Maybe you are close enough to somewhere that has an industrial hygienist that can come out and look at some of these surroundings, particularly like in shop areas and such. Or maybe there is uh, someone that, that you know that works in the community that maybe has some kind of um, operations that you really like. You like you like what you see. You think that they have a, a good working knowledge of what maybe you could change. And just let that second set of eyes uh, take a look at what's going on. Uh, in addition to that, we know that education uh, for workers, for family members, for employees uh, is a must. It's got to be a priority. And we know that education can take, um, it takes time. And particularly if you have employees that speak more than one language or maybe have a bit of a hearing deficit, we have to look at other ways to help educate them around these issues. Uh, the bottom of the triangle, what we uh, like to avoid if possible, is having to use personal protective equipment. But in agriculture, we know that it might be the only feasible solution. And so we need to really be aware of what we can uh, encourage, what we can teach about, and what's available. Uh, this is just a really quick and dirty little um, view of what the respiratory system is. And so many times people think it's just we're talking about just lungs. Lungs are not the only part of a respiratory system. It starts way up in your nose, in those navel cavities, and goes uh, all the way down uh, through the uh, pharynx, the larynx, the trachea, uh, down through the uh, bronchi, and then into the lungs. And then in the very lower part of the lungs, at the very end are these little things called alveoli uh, and they are the terminal end of the bronchioles and they're like little grape clusters if you will or little sacks of bubbles um, if you have kids that have you know blow bubbles that's kind of what, kind of what they look like uh, and they are that's where the gas exchanges take place that's where we have the the need to be protecting from those respirable dusts because that's where the respirable dust will settle and we can't cough it out and sneeze it out. Uh, this image from the EPA we've used for a long time and I just really like it. It's one of the my favorite teaching tools when I'm talking about respirable dust. Uh, up in the corner is another uh, little picture of what alveoli look like and you can see the, where the gas exchanges take place where the red and the blue um, is. But we use this because we will tell people that a human hair, if you pluck a hair out of your head, it's 50 to 70 microns in size, okay? So the dust and the pollen, uh, this respirable that we're concerned about, is less than 10 microns. 
So you can imagine how tiny those particles are. And uh, then we talk about uh, the, the COVID exposures and the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And those the researchers are telling us are about 120 nanometers in size. And 100, so that's thousands and thousands of smaller than one micron. I believe there's a thousand nanometers to one micron. So you can just, in your mind, just picture how invisible and how tiny these things are and why they're so uh, being such so dangerous to um, our communities at this time. We also like to share this uh, chart from the uh, Iowa Public Health Department uh, talking about uh, gas exposures and some quick pictures of um, kind of diagramming out the different the names of the gases that we have such exposures to where we find them and uh, are they low medium or high uh, impact on our respiratory health so this is a great chart uh, you can get a hold of it from the Great Plains website and they've done a really nice job on this We always tell, when we start talking about the protective equipment itself, we say respiratory protection very much depends upon the exposure. And that's what we need to know in order to determine appropriate respiratory protection. We need to know what the activity is, what kind of work is being done. What is the exposure? Is it uh, an animal pen? Is it indoors? Is it outdoors? Um, is it um, moldy hay? Is it um, grain bins that are being cleaned out? And then we can do a better job of determining what is the appropriate respiratory protection. Uh, everything from a good uh, NIOSH approved two-strap respirator to um, maybe a half-face respirator with the pancake filters or the cartridges or a full-face respirator and, and some people really like these and feel that they get the best protection best protection with these uh, full-face respirators. Now, some of the folks will tell me that for power washing they don't like them because when the stuff sprays up and it gets on the visor it uh, impedes their vision and that certainly is understandable. Uh, there are different classifications, different types of respirators. I'm actually going to start with the bottom. We aren't going to talk a whole lot today about uh, the SCBA, the self-contained breathing apparatus, uh, because those are very, very, very seldom we see these in a farming operation because it takes special training to use these, uh, special equipment. And so we often recommend that you contact your local emergency and fire department people because these are the folks that are trained to know how to use it. And hopefully there won't be an incident on your operation that will require somebody coming in and uh, having to use this kind of equipment to um, go into a manure pit, to um, deal with some of the gases in a confined space, that sort of thing. Supplied air respirators are simply that. There's a, um, the Atmosphere is being supplied from outside of the person, away from their body. Uh, it's, it's not being worn totally on, on their face. And it is connected to a hose that runs uh, away from the user and is carried. It's outside. We've seen some of these uh, with some of the uh, poultry cleaning operations and, and that sort of thing. But again, you don't see those too much day to day. And, and our ranching and farming operations. So what we're going to be spending our time talking about are the air purifying respirators. 
and that air purifying simply means it's a respirator that has a filter on it that purifies the air. And that filter may be uh, the two-strap face piece, of the, like the mask, or it may be a, a half-face respirator that uses the cartridges or canisters, that sort of thing. And it just simply means that it's filtering the ambient air, the air that's all around us, is being filtered before you're breathing it in. So air purifying uh, respirators come with a bit of an alphabet soup, if you will. It's trying to figure out the right one to wear. And so we say part of the part of the education in a, in a respirator is learning the letters. And the letters that we use are N, R, and P. And this, um, as you can see, the arrow shows on this one. This happens to be a 3M8511. It's an N95 respirator. The N would indicate that it is not for use in the presence of oil. N95s are great respirators. They serve such a great purpose and cover, and cover well so many of the uh, exposures. But they are not recommended if you have an oil exposure. And, and oil exposures in agriculture are pretty common, as most of you know. They've, you know, they're in cleaning agents. They're in a lot of the aerosols. They're in different paints and all this kind of business and, and, and things that we use sometimes on, on feed settlements and what have you. R, on the other hand, does have some resistance to oil mist. So if there's not uh, a heavy oil presence in our respirator, it's a kind of a level up, if you will, from the end, um, would be recommended. Now the P series, uh, the P stands for it is it's acceptable where oil is present and it is probably the higher level of protection, if you will. And that would be uh, recommended when uh, people, we recommend a lot oftentimes for people that have a, uh, maybe some other underlying conditions, um, maybe they, they're really sensitive and the N95s and such are just not uh, doing it for them. Um, the P-series, uh, oftentimes we refer to like a P100 as being a HEPA filter. So we're getting into a little heavier protection with that. But all of that will be indicated on that respirator someplace, whether it's a half mask, uh, whether it's full face or even powered air purifying respirators will have that information on them. The other uh, category that we look at is filter efficiency. In other words, uh, what what percent of protection are you getting? How efficient is that filter? And that's where the numbers game comes in. And that's 95, 99, or 100. So 95 is good filtering efficiency. It will filter out about 95% of the exposures if it fits properly and is worn properly. And that's, that's the big if. 99% is a little higher efficiency and 100% actually, uh, they will tell you it's 99.97, I think. Um, uh, so it's, it's almost 100% efficient, and that's where we get into what we call HEPA category. Uh, uh, a P100 would be considered um, HEPA categorized. So all that information should be on your respirator, and that's all part of the NIOSH, um, the NIOSH mandates. And it takes a while to learn all that stuff. It, you, know, it's, you don't learn it all in one day, you learn it in little bits. Uh, the CDC has this on uh, one of their websites, and I have that resource um, 
a little bit later here. And it really marches out exactly what you need to look for on a respirator. Uh, you'll have to have them, they want the model number on there, uh, the, the lot number from when it was manufactured, what type of filter is on there. Uh, that's where the letters and numbers come into play. Uh, the uh, TC approval, that stamp that has that big long number and letters behind it. Uh, the fact that it is NIOSH approved and uh, all of these markings will be maybe on the face piece itself. They sometimes are on the strap, but they will be there and you need to be watching for those because that's all part of being a, a valid uh, approved respirator. These are just some pictures of a variety of the different types of filtering face pieces or two-strap respirators or masks as they're referred to. And you can see that they come in different, um, different kinds of um, design um, and not one respirator is going to fit everybody and that's why there, there is a, a multitude of them of, out there uh, and being manufactured. The half-face respirators, the half-masks as some people will call them, uh, there are many different manufacturers uh, that have them uh, on the market and this is kind of what they will look like. They will be either the pancake filters like you see on the left, the pink happens to indicate that it would be a P100 or a HEPA filter level protection. Uh, or it will be the cartridges, and with the cartridges, uh, you also want to make sure that you're wearing the dust filter, which is the little picture in the bottom, uh, over the cartridge. Or they are made so you can just use a dust filter if that's really all that, that you need. Filters come uh, with these labels on them, as we said before, and they are color-coded. Uh, depending upon what your exposure is, that's a color that you would look for. And organic vapors are a real common one. Uh, some of the folks like the ammonia ones, the P100s you see down below come either in the um, uh, cartridge format or in a um, like a pancake filter sort of a thing, or they can be multi-gas. So when you see in the bottom, has a multi-gas with a uh, HEPA filter on the top of it. So that is really high-level protection. And uh, a lot of our folks sometimes go straight to this stuff uh, because they know that they're getting you know, even that much more protection, even though it may be more than what they need. Uh, the big lesson on this particular slide is to remember that you have to use the same manufacturer for cartridges um, and face pieces. In other words, you can't have a face piece that's made by 3M, even though it may fit you perfectly and have it, it's been tested and everything, but you can't switch and put a, um, um, a Honeywell North um, cartridge on it. And you're pretty well protected because usually these, these uh, uh, materials are all made so you can't, uh, you can't interchange them. And that's for your protection. Uh, when you're wearing a respirator, obviously, the fit is the key, and this kind of has become our mantra across the industry, the fit is the key. All these respirators, whether it's an N95 or higher, has got to fit tight to the face and it's got to allow absolutely no air leaks. If it's worn correctly, it will filter out 95% or more of the particulates that you're uh, exposed to. But in order to do that, you have to done and it has to be put on correctly. You have to fit check it every time it's worn and you have to remove it or doff it properly. 
and we'll talk a little bit about the difference between fit check and fit test. This is a picture of a respirator that is not NIOSH approved and it is not adequate, but you see a lot of them out there. It has one small strap. It has the uh, material, if you look closely at this uh, young woman's face, you can see that it's very thin. Uh, there's really not a lot of protective power there at all. And if you look around her face, like especially down around her, her chin, her jawline, there are big gaps. Uh, this isn't fitting her properly at all. Um, but on the package, and if you look at the packaging on there, it will pretty much tell you. It'll say that it offers relief from dust, non-toxic particulates, but it's, it's nuisance. It says it does not allow nuisance dust to irritate workers. Uh, it offers relief from pollen, cut grass, and so on. Uh, but it is designated for comfort only and not to be used for lung protection. So that's a, that's the key. Is is it's comfort only. Um, as my husband said, well, it's pretty good for sweeping the kitchen floor. And that's about it. Um, but it is not designated for any kind of valid lung protection. So you have to kind of read the labels. And that's one of the other things we're telling people all the time about all of this uh, type of protective equipment is read the label. Hog and poultry confinement. Um, the quality protection, the recommended protection is, is pretty well all over there. It's uh, from N95 up. You'll see the N95 uh, filtering face piece with the two straps. Uh, there are cartridges that are recommended. Some of them like to use the ammonia cartridge with the free filter, the dust filter on them. Uh, or if they're using disinfectants, they'll use the, the yellow label, the acid gas label, or the multi-gas cartridge, and they'll put the... Um, the HEPA filter on top of it. So we do see a lot of this in our hog, hog production communities. Hay and straw, lots and lots of mold out there. So you want to really be careful that you're having good, uh, not only dust, but mold protection. Um, and again, we recommend the half face respirators or the, or the, um, the filtering face pieces, but it would have to be a minimum, obviously, of an N95 protection. And then depending on what your other health issues and comfort levels are, you can uh, kind of um, assess from there what, what, what you want. Uh, this is where we often see the um, organic toxic dust syndrome uh, if you work in a, in a clinic where you see some of these respiratory diseases. Uh, we can't forget about welding, um, and we know, to know that in welding, a lot of times, uh, guys and gals will pop on their hood, but they won't have a mask on under it. And uh, there are uh, filtering face pieces that are, are recommended, and they would be the N100s, R100s, P100s, um, and they fit well under, under the mask. You have to be careful because there are some of these that... Uh, they're contoured a little differently and they wouldn't fit well under your under your uh, hood. Pesticides, as we said, this is a huge area, a huge area for our people in agriculture. And typically the hazard there are the organic vapors and aerosols. And these can be the solid, obviously, or the, the sprayed ones. Uh, this is an area where read the label becomes so important because uh, it will tell you what level of protection. If you read the label on any 
any recommended respirator, it will tell you exactly what it's for and not for. Um, when you're working with solids, the filtering face pieces, uh, and any of these work really well as long as they are selected and fit properly. Um, you don't want to be wearing a, a, a filtering face piece or you know the, the papery looking ones uh, if you're working with the liquids because they just get so wet so quickly. So that's why we recommend more of the, the cartridges or uh, the, the anything that has a cartridge and a pre-filter on it. Or you can go to a uh, full face respirator uh, or the uh, what we call PAPRs, the powered air purifying respirators. And you see an example of one of those. Uh, some of our folks that absolutely cannot wear a half face respirator uh, for a lot of different reasons or for some health concerns, uh, they're their physicians or healthcare providers will recommend that they go to a powered air purifying respirator. And they are expensive. Yes, that's a question we get all the time. They are very pricey. But sometimes it is the uh, factor that determines whether you stay working in the agricultural arena or not. Uh, when working with pesticides, the uh, worker protection standard is uh, pretty clear on what is um, approved, uh, what is needed, uh, what you need to be to be compliant with all of the regulations and the laws. And uh, that being said, we know with COVID that it has presented a huge issue. And so for employers that are subject to OSHA, in other words, if you have 11 employees or more at any given time during a year, or if you have a temporary labor camp, uh, they the OSHA field offices understand that training is hard to do because uh, materials to train with are hard to come by. Uh, they know that there have been a lot of issues around this. So when it comes to citations and fines and all of this, uh, there is some discretion and that discretion kind of sits in the um, uh, determination of the field officers. Uh, so fit testing is, is tough to do because fit testing equipment is pretty scarce right now. If you've gone online to look for it, to buy new fit testing equipment as I have, uh, you're finding you don't have much choice, if any choice at all. Uh, and more information on this and on the status of some of these um, uh, temporary uh, discretions, uh, it's on the EPA website and they keep it pretty well updated um, as the CDC and they will let you know if um, there's, should let you know if there's any changes. And I just checked the other day and there didn't seem to be much in the line of changes, but um, that still is not uh, saying that people that are applying chemicals, um, the pesticides, all of that scenario, uh, it's not excusing them from wearing protection. What this is mainly talking about is your, your testing and education. Uh, applicators, uh, are pesticide applicators and handlers required to wear respiratory protection? Again, yes, there's, um, there's no question there. They're not uh, diminishing the need for that at all. Uh, what pesticides require respirators? Well, again, it's breed the label. And there are two uh, very good um, resources out there. One is the Worker Protection Standard Protection Guide and the other, uh, especially for healthcare providers, is the recognition and management of poisonings. And uh, for many of us, this this is our Bible. Um, we, we keep them handy all the time. Um, AgriSafe has some uh, 
resources that have been uh, well recommended and well received, and that is our respiratory selection guide and the little algorithm that tells you uh, how to how to figure out what it is what you need. And you can get these on our if you go to our website, you can um, you can get a hold of this information. There's some other things out there that I really like and think that are really uh, valuable from um, the CDC, from OSHA, um, and these are two. And the one that the one on the left is a quick little guide that tells you how to fit a respirator. You know, what size do you need? Uh, you know, A is height and B is width. And so it, it, it kind of helps you walk through that uh, discernment process. And the other one is the one on facial hairstyles. And I tell everybody, I never knew there were so many different names to so many different kinds of beards and mustaches um, until I saw this thing. And I thought, what is going on here? Um, but it, it's a great little tool because it, it tells you exactly what kind of facial hair uh, will work around a respirator and how careful you have to be to make sure it fits. Because when you are fitting these, uh, you cannot have any facial hair get between um, your skin and the uh, the fit of the respirator. They just otherwise you don't have a good fit. And before I forget, I also want to say for uh, some of our ladies that tend to wear heavy makeup, uh, that heavy makeup can get in between making uh, allowing for a good fit also. So when you are fitting a respirator, um, worrying about your makeup is probably not uh, going to be high on your priority list. That's for sure. These resources are really good also. On the right is the uh, 3M uh, two-strap. It shows you how, the, how, to, how to put one on, how to fit check. And fit check is what the, the employee, the wearer, the person wearing the mask, the respirator does every single time they put one on as a fit check. The one on the left came out from OSHA just recently, and I really like this for a couple of reasons. It not only shows how you can you know, put one on and, and do a fit check to make sure it fits securely and to take it off, which is important to know. Uh, but they also have this in a uh, video format, and I think it's really good for people that may have um, a problem with, uh, maybe they un understand the language quite so well, or they're not hearing it just right. Uh, so it makes for a good teaching tool because uh, it, it, it's active and it shows them what's going on. So uh, we really do like this one as well. Uh, a fit check, a seal check, again, is that uh, responsibility of the person wearing a respirator, the employee. It's their, their responsibility, and it's done each time it's put on. And they do a positive fit, a positive pressure check, and a negative pressure check. And these pictures give you a little idea of how they go about that. And you may do this so you know that you have a, a respirator that you think is fitting pretty well before you're even fit tested. Um, so storage, we'd like to uh, also address and make sure that people understand that it's so important to store these respirators properly, um, to make sure that they are storing them when they're, um, where they're accessible and that they're storing them where they will be able to get a hold of them and that they're not storing them in a canister, something really tight that disposable the um, filtering face pieces because if they're stored tight if they've been worn once there is some a little moisture in there and it can create its own moldy environment 
Um, again, when you're using a PAPR or a powered air purifying respirator, if you have heart and lung conditions that prevent the use of other types of respirators, this may be what your physician will recommend. And we, they also will recommend it if you can't get a good fit with a half or a full face respirator. And um, it may be an alternative if you cannot get a hold of the N95 or an N100 or something because of the importance of these types of respiratory protection for our healthcare workers right now. Some folks are going to wearing these. Um, Again, it's so important to take care of this equipment, whether it's your, your, your minimum protection or your maximum protection. Not sealing it in a, in a tight bag. Um, if it becomes to the point where you're feeling, tasting, smelling the contaminant coming through, then it is not working properly and it's not giving you the service that it should. Cleaning and disinfecting are not the same thing, and sometimes people tend to interchange those terms. Washing the respirator, including that whole head assembly and valve and warm soapy water and scrubbing it with a soft brush is important, uh, but that's cleaning. Disinfecting it is a different thing. That is soaking it in a mild bleach solution uh, or another disinfectant. Uh, for at least you know, three, four, five minutes. And typically what they'll say is to a gallon of water, you use anywhere from three or four tablespoons to two thirds of a cup of bleach and rinse it really well afterwards in clear water. Uh, you dry these, air dry them or with a soft cloth. Uh, I have had people come in and say, well, I can't figure out why it doesn't work. I threw my respirator in the um, dishwasher and just figured it'd get cleaner and I get it and then I get it dry. Well, we know that that doesn't work. So anyway, they have to air dry or dry with a soft cloth. Fit testing. Fit testing is different than fit checking. Fit testing is what you do when you're trying to determine if the respirator that you've selected is one that is going to work for you. Uh, you're, if you are working for a large uh, operation, your employer may request it, may require it at the use that you you have it because if you need to wear a respirator for your work, then you're going to have to be fit tested. Um, or it will be um, mandated if you, the employee, are exposed above the permissible exposure levels, the OSHA PELs. Uh, a lot of people will ask us about voluntary respirators. Uh, the one in the bottom shows, again, a picture of a two-strap um, filtering face piece. If a worker is wearing these on a voluntary basis, Fit testing is not required for that, but that's the only type of respirator that, that would not be a requirement in a work site. If they're wearing those on a voluntary basis, in other words, just for their comfort level, they choose that they want to wear one. There's no reason to mandate it because of what the exposures are. Um, but if it's a half-face respirator with cartridges in that, then they would have to have it fit tested. The picture above shows you um, uh, the typical type of fit testing that you'll see in our smaller operations. Um, we don't use too many port accounts uh, and the, when we're doing uh, you know, the smaller groups because they're an expensive way to go about things. But uh, uh, if an employee uses any respirator with a tight-fitting face piece, the employee must be fit tested with the same make, 
the same model, the same style, the same size that they're going to be wearing in the workplace. Employers need to know that not every respirator is going to fit everybody, uh, so you'll have to have more than one type available uh, to select from to see what works, because if it doesn't fit, it's not working. We often get asked, how do we find some place to fit tests in our rural communities? And that's it's a very important question. Um, we will tell them that local businesses, health occupational centers, you may have a, a clinic or an occupational health center that does fit testing. If so, you that's where you would you would go and they would walk you through that process. Uh, some of our local hospitals have respiratory uh, providers uh, in their in their departments and perhaps they some of them do do fit testing uh, your ag businesses and your co-ops oftentimes have someone trained to do a fit testing uh, or maybe in your local healthcare clinic, there may be somebody there that has been trained uh, to, that knows how to do that properly. Uh, we found that several of our extension services across the country have people prepared to do this and that they, they do that particularly because they work so closely with the uh, pesticide applicator training programs. Some of our membership organizations, uh, your uh, farm organizations may have somebody in one of their offices that can, can help you with that or there may be some indep an independent provider in a community that, that um, is um, able to do these and knows how to do them and do them well. Uh, the cost, of course, to do this will be all over the place. Um, and so there's no way I can really tell you whether they'll charge you $100 or $20 or $10. I don't know. Uh, that all depends upon the provider themselves. Um, one of the things that I do want to add to with this is some folks will ask us right, about the um, what does it take to learn to be a provider and um, it doesn't take a special training and I think I have a slide down here that will address that in just a minute. Um, I'm going to just skip down. I guess I don't have it there. The um, fit testers can be, I mean anybody can learn how to do it but you have to be uh, able to be able to do it and feel like you know what you're doing. Uh, you have to be able to follow the rules and the regulations of fit testing. OSHA has great information on their website about fit testing uh, and how to learn how to become a fit tester. Um, but you have to be able to get the equipment and right now purchasing the equipment is really difficult to do because it is so scarce and so hard to find. Uh, we recommend, strongly recommend that if you're going to be doing this for your farming operation, your ranch, your egg business in your community is that you get together with somebody that is already doing it to learn how and kind of uh, let them mentor you into that comfort level of, of how to go about it. But if you, per if you do purchase a fit test kit, it comes with all the instructions of how to do it, but um, it can get really monotonous. Um, and I think that you have to really work with somebody uh, at least a few times to figure out how to go about doing that. I did want to spend a couple brief minutes here talking about uh, the issue of counterfeit respirators and how uh, it is so easy to misinterpret uh, what the NIOSH approval is about. Uh, there are more and more counterfeit respirators on the market right now that are falsely market marked. 
they are stamped, so you can would think that it is a, a um, NIOSH-approved respirator until you really look into the details, as somebody often says, the devil is in the details. So you will have to look at those markings that we talked about earlier and how to identify a respirator. And uh, oftentimes it, they won't have any markings on there or there won't be a NIOSH marking or they get real foxy and they will misspell NIOSH. Uh, they'll put the switch like the O and the S around. Uh, maybe they'll have funny little decorations or something on them. Um, or the filtering face piece may have ear loops instead of uh, the, the straps, and that's a, that's a sure giveaway. There is a website um, that does talk about, I'm gonna see if I can open this up real quickly here. Here we go. This talks about, the, really lays out from NIOSH what it is approved and what they look like, and they have this document that shows all these different respirators that are, um, counterfeit. And if you go through here and you look at this, I'm not going to take time to do it now, you will see how some of these so closely, um, so closely mimic the approved respirator. And I did a lovely little job of getting myself off track here. Um, so anyway, I really want you to go look at that website. That will be an important one to look at because with the uh, scarcity of approved respirators, these are all over the place. A little bit about the difference between a respirator and a surgical mask. Uh, respirators are designed to protect you from whatever it is that you are exposed to. Surgical masks and cloth face piece are designed to protect others from your coughing and sneezing and breathing. Um, particulates on them. They don't fit tight and they don't seal, but uh, they have a purpose. Uh, CDC NIOSH has some really good information out there now on um, the uh, cloth face coverings and how, what they recommend and how they really do if you partner that with social distancing. It can really help to, as they say, flatten the curve. That's just um, Right now, it's just so important, and all of our communities are dealing with it. Cloth face coverings and surgical medical masks, uh, these are not considered to be NIOSH-approved personal protective equipment, but as we said, they do serve a purpose. And here you see different types and um, how they can be put together. Uh, if you are over the age of two and you're in a public setting, this is, these are the folks that should be wearing a, a cloth face covering. You should not be worn by children under the age of two or people that have uh, uh, other health issues that are incapacitating them or making it impossible for them to get that mask off without assistance if they need to. Uh, this is another, um, uh, the FDA put this out and I think this is a great little teaching tool in our communities. It talks about why a face cover, uh, face cloth covering um, does work. And this is one that actually came from our fire department and uh, this one tells its own story. Um, and they always say, don't forget your personal distancing. These are some more re uh, resources that we have available um, and that you can find on these websites. And I believe several of these are in our um, uh, 
handouts that you have. Again, thanks so much to uh, OSHA and the Susan Harwood Training Grant for uh, funding AgriSafe's ability to put these uh, webinars together. And they do want us to remind you that of your employee rights and responsibilities. And you can find these on their website as well. And their whistleblower information is also there, and that's important to know, particularly for our employee-employer relationships. Um, as Nisha said, follow us on social media. There's a lot of information out there. We really want to hear from you. We want to hear what you think. And uh, that's really all I have to say. Nisha, I'm going to send this back to you. Wonderful, Charlotte. Thank you so much for that wealth of information, especially in this difficult time of, you know, working in a COVID environment. Um, we do have a few questions. And just as a reminder, you can type your questions into the question queue. Um, can I, uh, we have a about five minutes to um, spare for the hour. So I'll go ahead and just ask you a few of these here. Okay. Our first question was, um, can the, uh, okay, we got more coming in, but the initial question was, is it harder to breathe through, uh, I'm assuming an N99 or N100 rest respirator um, over a N95? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and I, I, I can answer that possibly. Uh, for some mm -hmm. people, they don't notice the difference. They say, no, it isn't at all any more difficult at all. Some people will say because the materials are woven more tightly, uh, because these are electrostatic materials, um, that they are a little harder to get used to. They say, once we get used to them, no, they're not. Uh, but this is one of the reasons we say we always want you to try things uh, to make sure that they work for you. And this is why fit checking and fit testing is so important. Um, but uh, yes, there's a possibility that it may take a little more uh, getting used to. Uh, the same thing for the half-face respirators with the cartridges. Folks will say, well, you know, they're just harder to breathe through. But on the other hand, uh, I've had several of our farmers, some of our hog farmers have said, uh, I actually like them better than the, as they call them, paper masks, um, because once I got it on and it fit with the, uh, the dual cartridges, they said, I felt like I could breathe easier. So it's kind of all over the place, but it is a really valid question. And yes, some people will say that they have more difficulty. Absolutely. Okay, um, just a reminder for folks, I didn't say this in the beginning, we do have the copy of the presentation in the handout section. So feel free to download those resources um, that were mentioned in this presentation and you'll see some of the links that were um, in the presentation on those slides so you can get that. And as well, the um, NIOSH um, page that referenced the uh, uh, counterfeit respirators, that link was put into the chat box. And the next question in the queue is, um, uh, do you have a PAP recommendation for grain bins? A what recommendation? I'm sorry. A PAP, a PAP? Oh, a PAP uh, for grain bins. Um, Boy, you guys have tough questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would say that um, 
there are a couple out there in the market that are, are, are recommended and are, are pretty darn good. Uh, we have, uh, there's one that we, a lot of our folks use called an Airstream, but there are all kinds of, that are really good. I tell you what, if you would send me an email, I would be, or send it into Nisha and she can forward it to me. I will be happy to uh, share some, some uh, manufacturers, some brand names with you, if that's okay. Absolutely, and I've sent that information to you, Charlotte, so we can definitely respond to that after. Okay, um, I'll, I'll be really happy to do it. And if you don't get a satisfactory answer, keep bugging me, and I will uh, work with you on it. Absolutely, and then we have a comment: uh, the National Pesticide Education, uh, National Pesticide Safety Education Center, worked with our respirator collaboration team and developed a respirator decision-making infographic and an animated uh, uh, platoons video that can be found. And that link is in the chat box. And the respirator infographic is also available in Spanish, so you can pull and copy that information from the chat as well. Thank you so much for that. Oh, absolutely. And I'd like to know, you mind if we share that more broadly with our audiences on our uh, uh, different types of uh, like Facebook and and on our website, if that's okay. Uh, Perk Med uh, out of the West Coast is a tremendous amount of work on um, pesticide application. If you want to go to Perk Med, P-E-R-C, dash med uh, and they have a brand new website uh, not brand new but they have really done some really nice work on updating their website and it's really easy to get around so um, i would love to have people see that and i think we will be sharing that one also absolutely and then this is a, a great question um, just a, a quick uh, response here for if you have joined uh, a little bit late yes this this session is being recorded and you can find that uh, recording uh, within 24 hours at learning.agrisafe.org so we will be posting the uh, training and all of the resources in that space on our learning lab um, and then final question and we'll we'll give people back their three o'clock hour and this is a great question. Uh, can the N95 be bleached and rinsed? And if so, how many times if done correctly? Um, that is a good question. And I will, will tell you that um, the initial answer is yes, it can. Uh, but, and that's a, there's a, a lot of qualifiers on it. Number one will depend upon what you were exposed to. Um, how dirty is it? To start with, uh, we hear you know a lot of our healthcare providers are having to reuse theirs, and they are are disinfecting them, and um, and so yes, it is possible. But uh, I would caution you to it would depend upon what you were exposed to and what the, what was on it. And I would mm -hmm. go to the cdc.gov website and put um, just in your search, put in disinfecting cleaning and disinfecting um, respirators. And uh, they have kept some pretty pretty good up-to-date information on there. So uh, I would defer to them with the specifics on that. Um, but again, be very careful because it would depend upon what you were exposed to and how, how dirty is that thing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Charlotte. We really appreciate you sharing your 
time and expertise on this very important topic during National Farm Safety and Health Week. And we definitely appreciate all of our attendees for taking time this afternoon to learn about this topic. So you oh, all have absolutely. a- Absolutely. And Nisha, I really hope, hope people know that if you have resources that you think we could use uh, and share on the AgriSafe website and on our resource pages, let us know because we are all in this together and we are learning from one another every day. Absolutely. Lots of good information out there. Well, thank you so much and, and everyone enjoy your afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the AgriSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. You can learn more about the AgriSafe Network at agrisafe.org, and be sure to check out the Learning Lab and all of the excellent resources available on the site. You can also find us on Facebook or contact us anytime at info at agrisafe.org.